Well, I was reading last the other day on uh, top five regrets. <laughs> this is an encouraging way to start of the dying. It's very interesting. Uh, Bronnie Ware is an Australian nurse who spent several years working in the ICU, working with patients in the last several weeks of their lives. And she started, he, he or she, I guess, she started writing down uh, some of the common denominators. And these are the top five regrets from those dying. One is, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself. Interesting. Uh, they said, health brings a freedom very few realize until they no longer have it, was the statement. Second is, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. <laughs> I can relate to that one. Of course, my grandmother always said, work never killed anybody. Uh, so she was at 97. She fired the nurse we had hired to help clean the house, or well, housekeeper, because she said, uh, my grandmother said, you can't mop a floor w with a stick. You got to get on your hands and knees. So there she is. Uh, good old Hofeditz for you. Uh, number three, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. Number four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And number five, I wish that I had let myself be happier. Interesting regrets, aren't they? That Bronnie comes up with the last five or top five regrets of dying. Well, we have no regrets on the part of our author. And yes, he is staring death in the face. Not by natural causes. Uh, he is a prisoner. He's told us that. And, and we know, as we're going to see here, that he's about to be executed. And if we know historically as well as traditionally, Paul is beheaded. He's a Roman citizen. Rome did not crucify or put their own into the gladiator games. They, were, they had their heads chopped off. Uh, pain in the neck, but it's the way to go. All right, so there you are. Chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writes, I solemnly charge you. This is his last words. This is the last charge of this epistle to Timothy, his final words. And it's amazing to me that there are no regrets. There's, there's no, I should have done this differently. No, this is, this is how it's to be done, Timothy. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus. That's not the first time he's used a charge like this. But what's unique with the charge and that it's in the name of God and Christ, is that he gives another uh, relative clause. He says, who is going to judge the living and dead? Uh, the living and the dead is a way of saying everyone, all right? <laughs> Everyone's going to get it, whether they're alive or living or dead, we're going to get them. And by his appearing in his kingdom, and then he delivers five commands, five imperatives, preach the message, be ready, whether it's convenient or not. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and instruction. For there will be a time when people will not tolerate sound teaching. Instead, they'll follow their own desires. They'll accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an incessable curiosity to hear new things. <laughs> uh, if you don't think we're not living in that day, you're dreaming. And they will turn away from hearing the truth, but on the other hand, they'll turn aside to myths. You, however, it's the, it's the strong contrast, be self-controlled in all things, endure hardship, do an evangelist work, fulfill your ministry. 
And that's all second person, you, you, you. Now Paul takes it, and this is so typical of what we've seen in 2 Timothy, right? He gives instruction to Timothy, and then he says, look at me. This is what's amazing. Look what Paul says here. For I am already being poured out as an offering, and the time for me to depart is at hand. I have completed well. Put that on your gravestone. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, the crown of righteousness is reserved for me. The Lord, the righteous judge, will award it to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all who have set their affections on his appearing. He has been dragging Timothy <laughs> through the mud, so to speak, in the sense of shape up, keep it up. This is what you got to do as he's handing this baton off to Timothy as he's about to go into glory. And the theme of this book has been persevering in the midst of suffering, hasn't it? That's been what's been stressed time and time again, to be a good soldier. In fact, that's the theme that we took, serving as a soldier for Jesus Christ. But now he moves, and, and he, we look at this in these last words, this last charge that's given in this final epistle. He starts off, and this is there in your notes, as a solemn charge. That's a loaded term, by the way, in the Greek. It, it, it screams of urgency. It screams of severity. Uh, Timothy, if you haven't set up, you need to now to listen to what I'm saying. In fact, uh, he, he employs the name of the Lord in the midst of this, right? God and Christ Jesus. So I don't want you to miss this. He appeals to three things in this charge that he's about to give. And again, this is where while the, uh, the charge, the solemn charge to God and Christ Jesus is not unique this section in Paul's writings. What is unique, as I said earlier, is the relative clauses. Jesus' role as the future judge, he highlights that. Jesus' future coming and the arrival of the kingdom. Think about the Negro spirituals from the 1800s. What did they sing about? Heaven, Christ coming, right? Soon and very soon, right? I won't sing, I'll spare you. But, right, um, I attended Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. Tony Evans is the pastor for about a year when I lived in Dallas. I, I was shocked at how many songs we sang on Sunday mornings were about heaven. It, it's far greater than we sing in churches around here, it seemed. And, and, and it bore out of that persecution and suffering, and you long for the end. Uh, Christianity is an apocalyptic religion. We're looking to the end, right? <laughs> Thank goodness, right? We're looking to, and, and, and as Paul is staring death in the face, he said, that's not forget. <laughs> There's a judge. And, and we've already seen the false teachers and, and all the hassles they've created for Paul, etc. He said, uh, they're going to get their upcomings. The Lord will take care of that. And what's greater is that we're going to be with him reigning, in the future kingdom. And, and, and so all of this is, it's, the Lord will vindicate and the Lord is victorious. And, and those two banners are being waved as he gives this final charge to Timothy. 
Towner in his commentary, this is there in your notes, he says, Salvation has already begun. So, too, the events that await future consummation are capable of shaping Timothy's character and motivating him to faithful fulfillment of this charge. In, in many ways, it's as, almost, it's as if it's already started. He uses future ideas, you know, you see that who is going to judge. Uh, really, it's, it's, he's about to do it. Uh, it, it, it. The foot is in, on the threshold of the door. Uh, this idea that it's already transpired. And he uses some future language here in verses 2 and 3, but it's still, it's already transpiring. So in a light of the Lord coming and all that's to take place, he charges Timothy with five things. The first of these is to preach the word. Uh, I went to Dallas Seminary for my master's, and if you were to go to the campus, you'll see this sign. It's about waist high, and it's in the front lawn of the campus. And it says, preach the word. Uh, and it's taken from this text. Preach the word. Preach the message. And the term preach and the term message are always used in the New Testament to refer to the gospel. All right? And that's what I love. We're, we're going to do that when we bring in Blumenstock. What is the gospel? We've got to answer that question, first and foremost, before you can share it. And then how do you share that? What does that mean? How does that, and that's what he's going to answer when we, when we bring Rich in. This is not an evangelism 101 kind of a thing. Uh, we're, we're going to dig deeper than simply that. So I uh, hope you can make it. But preach the word. Secondly, he, he says you need to be ready. This uh, preparedness or persistence. Uh, and in fact, he says whether it's convenient or not, <laughs> right? Uh, and it's less than convenient right now for Paul. There's no doubt about that. Secondly is to reprove. Uh, this is actually revealing sin. Here's your problem. Just highlighting that for him. Rebuking, similar to reprove, except this one has a disciplinary action involved, and it's used solely of believers so reprove can be believers or unbelievers. Rebuking has the idea of those who are enticed by the false teachers. They're enticed by uh, living the lifestyle that they shouldn't be. And so there's an idea of rebuking. And finally, there's an idea of exhorting. Uh, let me go back. Uh, it is exhorting. And exhorting is a positive aspect. Um, obviously, three and four are negative. And, and as I mentioned in your notes, this term seeks believers to grow in their spiritual maturity, and as I said, it's positive in nature. What's the common, what are some common denominators among these five things? What do you see? Or what do they entail? Preach the word, be ready, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Action, good. What else? Boldness. It assumes you've you got to know the truth. Yeah, you, you can't really instruct if you don't know it, right? It's a little hard to rebuke. Courage. Courage, yep. What else? That's good. They're all imperatives. Yes, they are. They're all commands. Very good. Yeah, it's kind of a machine gun he pulls out here to... This is what you're going to do. What else? Yes, readiness. Is that what you said? Yeah, good. 
Uh, there's going to be opposition. <laughs> yes. Um, it all deals with speech. Do you notice that? I guess be ready, maybe not, but you've got to be ready to give an answer. You've got to be ready to talk. Um, for some, speaking is easier than others. My son, <laughs> my daughter, the world's a stage. Bring it on. My son, you know, our daughter was in something on stage, and we said to our son, would you like to do that? He goes, absolutely not. That's embarrassing. <laughs> but even for the introverts, this is uh, an opportunity, right? I can't wait to meet folks like Timothy and Paul and just, you know, I think we have a pretty good idea of Paul's character. Uh, he was a bull in a china shop, but I'd like to, I think Timothy might have been more meek, mild, I don't know. It's the impression I get. Timothy, by the way, remember, will serve as a martyr in the 80s. He will die as well for the cause of Christ. So uh, he will take the baton and he will deliver it effectively and faithfully. But these five imperatives, so just ponder those, think about them, because there are some common denominators that we sometimes miss in the list. Well, he, he gives these five commands to Timothy, and then he says, the reason you need to do that is because, notice what he says in verse 3, there will be a time, and again, it's as if it's already, but not quite yet. We're, we're right on the threshold of this. And he now delivers another five things, but this is five characteristics of the people that Timothy is going to be engaged with. The first of these is they will not tolerate sound teaching. They don't want to hear the fundamentals. They're, they don't want to hear traditional thinking. Marshall highlights in his uh, book, book stop uh, commentary, you could hold up a ton of doors with that, he says, the rejection will be directed as much towards those who teach the message as it is towards the teaching itself. Um, and again, you have to smile because Paul's already dealing with people who can't handle sound teaching. That's the whole point of this epistle in many ways. Um, but he says it's, it's going to get worse, and, and you need to be ready. Uh, they will follow their own desires, yes, because they, they don't want the things of the Lord. Uh, I think I've told you this. I taught personal ethics for a college in the area, and they had to write their statement of ethics and and I had a lady say, I take a little bit of Christianity, I take a little bit of Buddhism, I take a little bit of Satanism, and, and she was serious. And I wrote on the top, it's an egoistic model. <laughs> you are the determiner of truth. And, and that's what you have here. They'll follow their own desires. And so, I love this next one, they're going to get teachers that agree with them, right? You know? Uh, I love the, the people who go around seeking godly advice and they finally get it because it agrees with what they want. You know what I'm talking about. That's the same idea here. And it's interesting, the Greek here is literally to stockpile, <laughs> to accumulate, to, to build up uh, the, a whole host of teachers. Um, <laughs> there's so much more we could say there. We won't. They will crave new things. Um, again, they don't want the traditional. They want something that literally it says tickle their ears or scratch their ears. Um, and, and it's clear their behavior is coming out. Um, 
It's amazing. Uh, you know, you'll have movie stars interested in Christian science or Kabbalah, but boy, forget if they want to embrace the fundamentalist view of Christianity. <laughs> They'll never go there, right? And that's why you can get away with teaching Kabbalah to kids in the public school, but heaven help you if you teach them something from the Bible, right? Uh, it's the traditional things of the Word of God they want nothing to do with. They give me something new, something novel. That's old. It's boring. And as a result, they turn from truth and they will embrace myths. And really, the term there is really foolhardiness or um, things of an idiot is the idea. It's interesting. Uh, it shouldn't surprise us because what did he say back in, in chapter 3? Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Understand this, that in the last days difficult times will come. We looked at this last week. For people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, opposed to what is good. I mean, this shouldn't surprise us. This is, the, you know. <clears throat> and if you say, well, Hophidus, we must be in the last days because that's what I see. Well, again, it was typical of the generation which Paul and Timothy were living in, um, but it's indicative of, uh, I think it foreshadows all the more what we're going to see uh, as time progresses. Uh, the world is not getting better, and just look what happened in Manchester yesterday. <laughs> the world's not getting better, uh, and we long for our king to come, the judge, the one who brings the kingdom, right? And that's the whole reason... Paul's even saying all this. And this is why he says, listen, you need to preach the word. You need to be consistent because this is the day in which we live. <clears throat> and again, I mentioned this there in your notes uh, under verse 5. Uh, he says, you being the contrast. And then he gives another laundry list of things Timothy needs to do. You need to be self-controlled. Again, think about those we just described you can see it on the screen, but think about this. Be self-controlled, endure hardship, do the evangelist work. I mean, that means preach the gospel, be out there, do it, and fulfill. You're obligated. That term, it's what a debtor has to pay. You are obligated to your ministry. I think of Romans 12. This is your reasonable service. Uh, and we've all been called, whether it's formally or unofficially, uh, to ministry, to serve. Whether you, you, know, you own a construction company, whether you, you work as an accountant or a lawyer, well, maybe he's a lawyer. Um, no, we're all called to serve the Lord. That is bad. Uh, Jason's not here today for me to razz, but I got some others in the room. Uh, right? So <clears throat> we're called to serve, uh, whether, again, we're full-time minister or not. And so these are the characteristics that are following. Uh, and he says, you, you need to, to persevere. You need to hold on. Any questions on verses 1 through 5 of this powerful charge? Very straightforward. Nothing we haven't seen before in this letter, but he's wrapping it up for him. Well, he moves to verses 6 through 8, and this is unique. And it's very clear, there's no question, Paul is about to die. He uses two terms. One is to be poured out. This is a common metaphor in the ancient world in the first century, being poured out as an offering to indicate you're about to die. And I mentioned there in your notes, um, the sacrificial imagery could imply that his death was not meaningless, but rather a necessary event in the furtherance of the work of the gospel. Look at the, or, uh, the book of Acts. 
how does it end? Where's, where's Paul at the end of Acts? In prison. That's his first imprisonment. This is his second in Second Timothy. But he's in prison. And, and yet, Acts is a triumphal book. Because it's not about us, it's about the gospel. And that's why Paul can say in Acts 20, I count it all lost for the cause of Christ. It's not about me. And, and I have the blessing of identifying with Christ's suffering. I read 2 Corinthians, right? Paul's most autobiographical book. He spells it out for us. And so here it is. He says, listen, I, I have being poured out and I'm about to depart. And again, this does not mean he's being released from prison. It means he's about to die. Um, <clears throat> uh, in fact, I just want to see something. I just thought about this. Let me just look at something here. No, it's not the same term, but I just wanted to see. Uh, often the word is exodus, uh, where we get the word exodus, meaning depart. It's, it's what uh, the term is used when Moses and Elijah talk to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They discuss his exodus, his death. And, but he's, he's mentioning, I, I'm about to depart here. I'm, 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 my death is impending. And so he looks to his own life as an example for Timothy to follow. And he uses athletic terms. There are three. He says, number one, I've finished well, or literally, I've completed in the good contest. I've not cheated. I've not cut corners. <laughs> I didn't take steroids, right? Whatever. I don't know what they chewed then. Uh, I said, I, I finished well. And, and it could be used of a boxing match or even a wrestling match. Uh, we don't know, and some try to, scholars love to pontificate, and there's all sorts of proposals. We won't go there. But he says, I finished the race. Um, Paul, as anyone living in the first century, we've been very familiar with the Olympic-type games. Uh, you know why I believe Paul was at Corinth for 18 months making tents is because the Isthmus games were occurring, and all these people were coming to Corinth for this uh, uh, every two to four years event. So um, he's, in, he's very familiar with the athletic events, etc. And he said, I finished the race, his audience would understand. And the third is, I kept the rules of the race. Unwavering and orthodoxy, similar to the first. Paul fully discharged his obligation with respect to the gospel. He said, I, I did it well. I finished well. I, I carried it out. <clears throat> and I don't know about you, but those are... That, that's what I pray I can say when I'm about to die. <laughs> if God should tarry and, and I die before he comes back, I hope I can say I finished well. That's an amazing statement. I don't want to have these kind of regrets, right? That Mr. Brawny Aware heard from his patients, right? I wish I'd stayed in touch. I wish I'd let myself be happier. N there are no regrets here. I mean, uh, he says, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. And, and notice then where he goes with this. He says, finally, the crown of righteousness is reserved for me. The term is Stephanos. It's those laurel wreaths that, that were perishable, but were given as, a, as an honor for winning the race uh, in the Greco-Roman world. He says, I, I got a crown. Now, some have argued, and I mentioned this in your notes, that the prize is 
that you lived a righteous life. <clears throat> I don't think so. I think what's going on here would seem best to see this as God's gift of righteousness. Yes, in 2 Corinthians 5, righteousness is imputed, means reckoned to our account when we became believers. But the culmination, in one sense, is when we are in God's presence. And it's, the, it's bringing this together. Fee in his commentary states, one receives the final crown of righteousness precisely because one has already received righteousness in Christ. So it's, it's bringing it all together. <laughs> this is what we long for. And that's why Paul can say, hey, it's not just for me. Don't it's, it's to all, and, and all means all. <laughs> it's inclusive. So Jim Kopensky, Mitch Depoy, Ron Page, listen, there's a crown of righteousness waiting for you. There's a crown of righteousness waiting for us who are faithful. Isn't that exciting? Um, which we'll tur turn around and, and lay it at the Lord's feet. By the way, did you just see how he describes the Lord? What's he call him in verse 8? What's he call him? Righteous the righteous judge. judge. Does that sound familiar? Or award me in that day? He's sewing this sucker together. That's what he said in verse 1. Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead and appearing in his kingdom, he, he's bookended this. I told you, Christianity is apocalyptic. You read Jewish writings in the intertestament period, between the old and the new, it's all apocalyptic. They're looking to the end. Read some of the Qumran literature, Dead Sea Scrolls, the War Scroll, the Son of Lights, the sun, Sons of Darkness coming together and fighting, and the Sons of Light are victorious because of the Teacher of Righteousness. And they're looking to the end. And, and read Revelation. It's an apocalyptic book, right? Come, Lord Jesus, quickly. <laughs> And so Towner states, in turn, the apostle explicitly invites all believers to anticipate with confidence the same triumph that his experience, certainly, certainty, and hope have prepared. You know, and his body bears the marks. I think that's why his eyesight's bad, all the beatings. And surely the scars from the scourgings. Imagine his body, <laughs> all the stonings that occurred. Look what a rear end it did to your back. Imagine a group of stones being thrown on top of you. Right? And yet he says, I finished well. <laughs> he, and you need to persevere as well. Knowing, I, I, he knows full well what could await Timothy, and eventually it does. Uh, he knows that. Well, let me give you three things to run with, three things to hang on your beak this morning. All right, number one, uh, in light of what we see here, in light of our study of 2 Timothy, faithfulness in our service to the Lord must be consistent, even when circumstances might be difficult, and our message might be rejected. That's... Second Timothy. <laughs> I mean, I have chapter 1, 8 through 14, 
but I mean, you, you can look and, and review. But what does he say in, in, to Timothy in, in verse 8 of chapter 1? Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, but by God's power, accept your share of suffering for the gospel. That's it. Right? That's it. You're going, thanks, Hoffaditz. I needed that upper today. But it's true, right? Secondly, an effective ministry will be met with hardship. Second uh, Peter, turn to second, or excuse me, first Peter. Paul's not the only one suffering for the faith, so is Peter. In first Peter chapter four, he delivers some words to his audience. He says in chapter 4, verse 16, If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but watch this, glorify God. Thanks, Lord, I get to suffer. Wow. You know, when you counsel people, you know when the light bulb has gone on and they're walking with the Lord. Because, you know, they'll say, well, it was a rough road. I would never want to do it again. But I just praise the Lord that I was able to, to lean on him through cancer. Or, you know, the divorce wasn't what I wanted, but God sustained me through that. Wasn't pleasant. Wasn't easy. But when you hear that, <laughs> well done. The, it, it, we're at another level. They're not licking their wounds as Paul could have done. And 1 Peter 4, 16 says, hey, press, keep pressing on. And, and notice he says in verse 17, by the way, it's time for judgment to begin. The righteous judge. <laughs> Christ is the one who bestows the gifts. He's also the one who's going to judge. Not God the Father, Christ. He's the one who paid it, paid the price. So an effective ministry will be met with hardship. I love, it's the quote at the front of your notes um, you have to see this. If you didn't see it, Ravi Zacharias says, beginning well is a momentary thing. Finishing well is a lifelong thing. <laughs> He's right, isn't he? Uh, if anyone says a spiritual life is easy, have him write a book because I like to know the secret. It's not easy. Paul said it as well under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, in light of uh, Memorial Day coming, we have to do this one, right? As followers of Christ, we need to keep our eyes on the finish line and on the prize. What's the prize, ultimately? What's the prize? According to 2 Timothy 4.8, what's the prize? Uh, yes, we get that, and that's true. Uh, you're right. That is the... Uh, but what are we longing for? The crown? Christ! His appearing, that's what we long for, is to stare Christ in the face, well, kneeling before our Christ, right, to be with Him for all eternity. My uh, wife's grandfather is in hospice, he's 90-some years old, and they give him about 48 hours, can't speak now, but uh, he's walked with the Lord many, many years, and they said he's been raising his hands up and just smiling. Don't know. But there's a day coming, and oh Lord, when we get to be in the presence of our Savior for all eternity. And we'll get to ride horses too, by the way. That'll be great. We'll reign with Him. I'd like to close 1 Peter 5 uh, as in this light of finishing the race with, oops, this text. 
if I can get it. And I, I've put it in your notes too because it's hard to see on the screen. But could we read this together? And we, we got to stand. Let's stand and we're going to close our time together by reading 1 Peter 5. So let's read this together. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Discipline yourselves. Keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Steadfast in your faith. For you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Father, I just ask that you would be with these men. Thank you for their faithfulness to you, uh, carving time out of a busy schedule to be even here this morning. We certainly, again, we, we pray for ongoing needs, and, and uh, Bob tomorrow, uh, Chung Man on Friday. And Lord, I just ask that you would bless each one of them. Lord, as Paul closed the letter to Timothy, he said, The Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. And that is my prayer for these men. May your grace, may your love be poured out on them afresh, anew, even today. Thank you for our time together around this powerful little book. Um, great reminders of persevering as a good soldier for Jesus in whose name we pray, amen.